Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Elizabeth Reese. I'm Marjorie Punnett. And this is Best to the Nest, the podcast that is all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. And today, Marjorie, in the month of love, the Valentine's (laughs) month, February, uh, we are talking about this idea that friendship could be the most intimate relationship in your life, not your relationship with your spouse. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, that's a big, big deal. And we've touched on this before because we have some disagreements and agreements about this. But it was all uh, – the debate, again, was sparked by an article in The Atlantic, which you had sent to me, which I found fascinating. So this actually – this article came out in October. And, um, and yeah, I sent it to you months ago. And we kept saying, we want to have a conversation about this. And then it seemed really appropriate to do it right around Valentine's Day. The headline of the piece in The Atlantic – and it's a lengthy piece, let me yes. tell you uh, – is, what if friendship, not marriage, was at the center of life? And there's a quote from someone who's interviewed in this piece that says, our boyfriends, our significant others, and our husbands are supposed to be number one. Our worlds are backward. And it's really interesting because the article kicks off with a story of a woman named Cammie West who says that in her current relationship, she'd been dating her boyfriend for a few weeks. She told him that he was never going to be the number one relationship in her life, that she would always have him outranked by her best friend, that her calls with her friend Kate were always going to be the most important, and that that was going to be her most intimate relationship. She explained to this boyfriend, I need you to know that she's not going anywhere. She's my number one. She will be there after you. She was there before you. And if you think at any point that this isn't going to be my number one, you're wrong. <laughs> that is shocking to me. That is shocking to me to, to say that to somebody that you're beginning a relationship with. Well, she had a bad history with another boyfriend who really tried to isolate her from this best friend. Her boyfriend right. at that time, she was in her 20s, sensed that he wasn't her top priority. And so he would disparage her best friend, Kate. And after that relationship ended, Cammie said that she would never let another man strain her friendship and that any future romantic partners would have to adapt to her friendship rather than the other way around. And here's what they say our boyfriends and our significant others and our husbands are supposed to be number one culturally. Like this is what we're supposed to have, right? right? It's the whole you complete me phenomenon from Jerry right. Maguire. Yeah, um, but is- these women say our worlds are backward. And we'll get into this more, but the piece goes into the historical meaning of marriage in our country and what marriage was supposed to give to you and what you were supposed to be in a marriage has definitely shifted culturally over the last 200 years. Oh, for sure. And I think that's what this is. There's so many issues swirling around just that statement of a woman saying 
you will not be my number one. And I think historically, (laughs) I I really do have trouble getting my head around this. And the only thing that helps me is the Oprah Gale model, Yes, which I think essentially she said, Oprah said something like that. And I don't want to put words in Oprah's mouth, but I vaguely remember her talking about on the show where when she started dating Stedman and they became serious, that Gale was always, of course, going to be a major presence the mo- one of the most important presences in her life. And so that's sort of the same model, I guess. But in terms of the historical context of marriage, and the article outlines some really interesting things about it, but there's a researcher who sort of broke it up historically in America into three phases, that from colonial times to about 1850, marriage was mostly focused on economics and survival. Yeah, and probably reproduction, right, Marjorie? Right, and I think that's the survival piece of it. The economic was the the sort of the pact you would make with a man that as a woman, you're going to take care of me because I virtually societally have no ways to take care of myself. So if I marry you, you're going to take care of me. In return, I'm going to give you children that will either work on the farm or help in the shop. Children in those days was labor. So that's a part of- And then take care of us when we're old. Yeah. So that's the survival piece of it. And then this researcher goes on to say, up from sort of 1850 to 1965, the emphasis in marriage was on love. I'd love to see this research. I'm not sure I completely buy into that, but I'll go with it. It's a researcher. I didn't do the research. So it was up to the emphasis was on love. And then post-1965, that marriage became what she called a self-expressive marriage, that in our marriages, that's where we were to become the full fruition of ourselves, that we could you know, express ourselves fully within that marriage. I don't think that that's – I have trouble even believing that that's true for a lot of marriages even today. So if you look well, from 1965 until now, I don't know. Like if we did a poll amongst many of the women we know, would they say that they're in a self-expressive marriage? Maybe. I think it's truer now than it ever was, but I don't think it's true for all women. Well, I think that ideal is the reason why we have such a high divorce rate, 100 Because when you are holding a marriage up to this ideal that it is supposed to be this place where you become your best self because of this relationship, where that person makes you happy, right? I mean, at the Mm -hmm. core, you are saying, this is the person, this is the relationship that makes me happy. I think that is such a dangerous expectation to have within a marriage. And it is completely unrealistic that someone can make you happy for your entire life and should even be depended on for your happiness for even any point in your life. And I think that then we end up with so many people who are saying, I'm out of this marriage because it didn't make me happy. I'm not happy. I'm not, I don't feel like I'm getting everything that I need out of the marriage. Now, I'm not saying that people who get out of marriages like that, I mean, everyone has their own choice and they certainly can. And I don't even know if that's necessarily a bad thing, but I think that that expectation is certainly what has contributed to people leaving relationships for reasons that historically they never would have left a relationship for. You know, I I 100% agree with that because I think that when you put too much, too much pressure on each other to be your to be the other's everything mm-hmm. or 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 to help you be your best self i think that's that's too much for any relationship to bear i keep thinking about i keep thinking about i went into therapy probably when i was 48 or 49 and i had done some therapy before 
for then, just to sort out issues, tune-ups, all of those things, big Mm -hmm. issues. But my therapist at 49, if we're allowed to have favorite therapists, it was my favorite. Okay, totally my favorite (laughs) therapist. He was fabulous. And I loved going. I just loved going to therapy with him because he was so interesting and I just loved his manner. But I remember when I first came in and I was just, it was a really, really difficult time. And he said, you know, who who do you talk to about all of these things? And I was like, my husband. And he's like, do you have any girlfriends? I'm like, and I, I did, of course, but I didn't have friendships in the way that and this will get into the article a little bit. I had a lot of really wonderful girlfriends, but I don't think I had a lot of intimate girlfriends. Mm-hmm. I'm super, super private. Right. I mean, I'm incredibly private, which is always ironic since I did a radio show for so long. But I'm incredibly- And since we spill guts on this podcast every I know. week. <laughs> I know. But see, but see, the difference was, and what's so interesting is he said, first of all, you need to be sharing more- with other people. You cannot depend solely on your husband to be, and Ian would 100% agree with this, mm-hmm. you you can't depend on your husband to help you navigate all of your emotional roller coasters. It's not fair to him. It's not, and, and quite frankly, some of them, how is he supposed to relate to them? He's not a woman. Right. You know, it's like it, my experiences and how I feel about things are completely different than his worldview. And so what was funny, it's almost like at that time, God gave me you. <gasps> because in that, like almost simultaneously around that time, you and I started doing the radio show together. Yeah. And then you and I would have these great conversations in the commercial breaks. Right. And we would have conversations that I never really had with other women. I just, I didn't have female friendships that way. I have one very dear, very old friend from, from grammar school, and she's probably mm-hmm. the one that knows the most about me. But other than that, I mean, and, and now you, I'm incredibly private. But it was so funny to me in that moment, in that time, our relationship started developing. But even our relationship, I don't think mirrors what they're talking about in this in this article. And so I'm curious for your friend, Tanya, who you would say is your best friend. Yeah. Would you classify that as an intimate relationship? Yeah. I mean, I would definitely classify it as this idea that I, I can relate to that idea of she's been there before and she will be there through anything and she will be there after. Right. Oh, hopefully <laughs> and, there's no after. <laughs> and I don't think, you know, but I mean, hopefully there's no after, but I think at some point there will be an after for everybody, right? Because you're not going to, unless you have like this magical relationship where you are married for 70 years and then you die within hours of each other. There right. Will holding, be a time, holding hands. Holding hands, <laughs> right. Which certainly happens, but there will be a time right. that you are without your beloved. And there are things that I can understand about Tanya that I think, and her husband is wonderful and is, I mean, they have a wonderful marriage, but there are things that she comes to me to for that she wouldn't for her, she wouldn't come to her husband for. And the same thing for me. And we have that relationship where 
you know, you just kind of know that if something happened, I would I would drop everything and fly across the country if she needed me and right. vice versa. And that feeling is there. And and we've always been Tanya and I grew up together and then we went to college together. And it just kind of became that she was my person that I needed and that that I can always be myself with. And she'll she she's the type of person where if someone's mean to me, she's still mad at that person 10 years later, (laughs) even though I'm totally not mad about it anymore. And I can think exactly of who she's still mad at. And I can exactly think of who I'm still mad at on her behalf. And we're both over it with that person, but we're, the other one is still mad. That's kind of how it goes. So, and I will, I always say, and and some of my friends are not like this. I mean, some of my friends, they're, they would say their husband is their best friend, but you've heard me say it on this podcast before. If someone asks me, is your husband your best friend? I say, absolutely not. My husband is my husband, and then I have a best friend. And the reason I feel so strongly about that is because I don't feel like having Jay be my everything is ever a good idea. And even I'm very conscious of making sure that I don't rely on him for my happiness for sure, because that's so fleeting, but even like my fulfillment and my joy, I always joke with Jay. I say, I don't need you to make me happy. I am happy. What I need you to do is not make me unhappy. (laughs) So why don't you just focus on that? That's the only thing I need from you is to not make me unhappy is because he's not a person who completes me. I'm fully completed. I am my own individual. I am self-sufficient. But I, but I, um, I want him around. But would you say Tanya completes you? Tanya completes me probably in a different way, but I don't even know if she does. You know, I don't, I don't like the idea of looking externally for something to complete who I I am. I think that's, I think that just at its outset, best friend, husband, whatever, you, it, I think relationships are always better if you sort of come to them fully formed or try to come to them fully formed. But we've talked, we've talked about this in the past on the podcast. I would say that Ian is hands down my best friend. Now, having said that, in light of what I've already said, part of that is because I am emotionally reticent by nature. Mm-hmm. And so when I married him, and I think I, that, number one, and then number two, I have three older sisters. And so I think in a way, for me, and I wouldn't say, sorry, my sisters that listen to this, I wouldn't say that they're my best friends, but growing up, they were an emotional support and a, and a familiar gaggle that was always there. And so right. I didn't I didn't have to seek out girlfriends. I really didn't. I was very close to my sister who's right above me and still am. We're two years apart. And I always kind of looked at her almost like a, a second mother. She was very protective of me. And so I always felt safe because of her. And I still feel that way. I know in a moment, if I ever needed anything, she would just be like, come live with me. Just come live with me. I mean, she would just, I'd be right back under her wing. And so she's very protective that way. But in terms of like, if I think about my best friend, for sure, it's my husband. And then probably secondarily, and this is probably also not quite right, are my sons. Now, the hazard of that is that's too small a world. Yes. It's too small. And I know that. And again, back to you, you widen my world. And that's, I'm always grateful for that because I, I, 
I now understand it was like baby steps into having a very close. It makes me sound like so emotionally stunted, but part part of that is I'm very self sufficient to a fault, and so. And I think even as I say that, I understand the contradiction of that because Ian probably would argue, oh, no, you're not. You depend on me. And therein lies the problem is too much dependence on him. I think at times in our marriage has strained the marriage for no reason if I had had girlfriends with which I could have confided even career issues or – or, you know, marriage issues or ch- child-rearing issues. If I had someone else, if I depended on a wider circle of people, I think he would have – I think Ian would have welcomed some of that pressure being off of him. Because that's a lot to put on one person, I think. It is, and I think spreading it out is so important. And yeah. I And I agree. I mean, listen, it's not – this isn't to say that I don't – that there isn't an element of friendship within my relationship with Jay. Of course. Or particularly in a not, or like with my sisters. I have two sisters. I have the same relationship with my sisters that you do. Um, I mean, I talk to my sisters every single day. I talk to my mom every single day. That being said, I think that there's something so beautiful about having having multiple people that are that close to you. So yeah. I don't call Jay my best friend because I call him my husband. I don't call my mom my best friend because I call her my mom. Right. My sisters, I don't call my best friends because they're my sisters. Those relationships all have their own individual intimate level and their own way of supporting me. And I feel like I'm then part of the support system for them. And then I have my best friends. And and to me, that is really important because I think sometimes, you know, and particularly now because we're so isolated during this pandemic, right, where we're not seeing people and we're kind of realizing how like, oh, it's just so tight. It is a dangerous thing to put so much on one relationship. And it also 100%. kind of... It makes you get different perspectives when you have a few more people in your intimate circle with their sort of different worldviews. You know, when I tell Tanya something about how, you know, something that's going wrong with whatever, she doesn't try to fix it. She just like listens. And, you know, I think your husband can have a little bit more of a tendency to try to fix it. And that can get frustrating in a relationship. Right. And I think, you know, it, it goes back to when I went to see my therapist, Mitch. And hey, he's Mitch. like, hey, Mitch, it, what he, it was so funny because it was our first session. And I think exactly that point is that the bigger your circle, the wider the amount of perspectives you're going to get and the stronger I think your own sense of self is because of how all of those people reflect back to you. Right. And I think so much of that makes you emotionally stronger without straining sort of one of the most important relationships in your life with, 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 it's your husband. And I think of all of this, we we were very conscious in wanting to do this episode before Valentine's Day because I think what I've learned, and it's sad to me that I learned it so late in life, is what I've learned is that to, to widen your world, to make your world bigger, for all of those people who may not have what's considered a significant other or a true romantic Valentine, it's a good reminder that that doesn't have to be the only vitality of intimacy in your life. True. That, that you can have so many intimate relationships so that on a day like Valentine's Day, you can reflect on those and maybe the other will come into your life or maybe it won't. But I would think a wider 
range of those intimacies would make a Valentine's Day seem less lonely, if not not lonely at all. And I, I think totally that's sort agree. of important. I think that's, that's so really good. It's so good. It made me think we just did a, a Valentine's Day product segment on Twin Cities Live and mm-hmm. our um, one of our producers fronted it. And so she'd picked out all these fun local things and it was very cute. And we were talking about how that idea of Valentine's Day doesn't necessarily have to be about romantic love and and how we like the idea of it not being focused on romantic love. And right. Lisa, our producer, said, she goes, when I think of Valentine's Day, I always think of my mom because my oh. mom made it so special for us growing oh, up. She it. like always, she loved Valentine's Day. And I said the same thing. My mom used to send us the best Valentine's Day care packages. Like when I was living, when I was in college and then when I was right. living in Duluth and Green Bay and she would send the best Valentine's Day care packages. And I think that's, Valentine's Day is such such a wonderful example of when you have a broader definition of intimacy and emotional closeness that you aren't putting all that pressure on that one relationship. Like you can, you, so many people are just very mad at their husbands after Valentine's day. If they like didn't do enough or weren't romantic enough or didn't make the right reservations or didn't bring the right roses or blah, blah, blah. And when you think about it, if you can spread out the love (laughs) to multiple people and have like a fun little Galentine's happy hour and then maybe like write your mom a card with a Valentine on it and celebrate, you know, I've got little treats for the kids already picked out, all those types of things that you can have so that it isn't, that's just such a great like singular example of not putting all the pressure on one person to fulfill all of these things for you in your life, when you widen the circle and have those friendships that are really meaningful and deep, and then those other relationships as well, you're just, you're just less likely to have expectations not be met by that one person and then exactly. be so crushed if they don't meet them. You'll be richer for it. You will. I mean, I, I have been shown that over and over again. And like I said, I, I cherish the expansion of my world as opposed to my world retracting because of all of the women that I allow into my life now that I I was more reticent in the past. And so it's a beautiful thing. It's a totally beautiful thing. And Marjorie, what a great reminder before we go of that you can open up to those relationships anytime and you can be surprised by who that person becomes for you. Because like mm-hmm. you and I, I mean, I, w- I knew Ian before I knew you. And then we like now, you know, you've come and stayed at my house. We I like know. you. I mean, you can you can drop by unannounced. I mean, Ian has just shown up at the door. It's so great. <laughs> and you and you have, um, you know, we have that relationship that you just never know when it's going to come into your life. You don't have to think that, oh, because I don't have like this group of friends from high school or I don't have my grammar school friend that we continued on with that you can't find those friendships because I exactly. think when you're open to them. They show up. Happy Valentine's Day, my little Valentine Marjorie Punnett. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> if you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts. We love those too. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best of the Nest or go to bestofthenest.com to subscribe to our newsletter. We are the podcast that brings you home. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. 
And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.